welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hello, this is Katie. And hi there, this is Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast and welcome to our episode on Crimson Peak. Ooh. Now, uh, now showing on Netflix. So, yeah. Yes. Catch you on Netflix. I'm so, we were trying to be spoopy. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't so, super planned. <laughs> so, this was this was awesome that Katie picked this one cuz I I love this movie and it yes. came out it came out in 2015 and I actually did see mm-hmm. it in the theaters uh in 2015. So, it was really Me cool. Me too. Yeah. I saw it with my friend Elizabeth in theaters. And we were both off work on like a weekday or something, and we ended up going to the movie theaters, and we were like the only people in it. And I, I had to see this movie because when I saw the trailers for it, the red ghosts got me, and I was yeah. like, I have to see this movie. Yes, and it's definitely. I think um, this poor movie, the thing it suffered from when it initially came out was so many people were expecting more of a traditional horror film, and that's not what this is. This is no. a uh, gothic romance that happens to have ghosts mm-hmm. in it. So, like, it's a mystery yeah. first, and then kind of like a uh, scary thriller second. So it's not straight up horror. Yeah. Uh, the mystery element is definitely the biggest element of the movie. The romance is very strong. Um, I like that, though. I like a movie that can kind of have different genres in it. Yes. Well, and it it is exactly a gothic romance. It is mm-hmm. strictly a gothic romance. Um, it does have a bit of a feminist twist because mm-hmm. uh, Guillermo del Toro, um, his wife and his mom are strong women. He has two daughters. He really wanted a female-centric movie. And most of his films, not all of them, but most of his bigger films, yeah, like Shape of Water, um, this movie, and Pan's Labyrinth have female characters in the center of the action. Yeah. Um, and Which I think is a really cool thing. He doesn't strictly do that. I'm pretty sure Pacific Rim, which I have not seen yet, it has more male characters in it, I do believe, like as the main characters. And uh, Devil's Backbone, I think the main character is also... A little boy yeah right? yeah exactly so, devil's back from this takes place at like a boy's school if i'm not mistaken yeah during spanish civil war i think it's say? like in the 19 i want to say it's 1940 so maybe shortly after yeah spanish civil war okay yeah because yeah. i so, think it's the same time period as pan's labyrinth because they're kind yeah. of sister films which i still have not been able to find devil's backbone to my yes. chagrin um but and, gothic romance if you don't know it um some instances of it and these are things that Guillermo del Toro said directly inspired this movie are books such as Wuthering Heights, Frankenstein, he gave Mia Wazakowska, uh Wazakowska, I always say her name incorrect, but I think everyone does. So she's probably okay with it. Sorry. Uh gave her a copy of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, also Jane Eyre. Um so and the there's a lot of too. Or the turning of the screw. Um the innocence. That's another one, yeah. yeah. The Turning of the Screw, also, which I have not 
read, I've heard of this one, The Castle of Otranto, which I've heard about. Um, if you've ever read uh, Northanger Abbey by uh, Jane Austen, it was uh, it was the first book she wrote, but the last one published is published posthumously. Um, it's it's about a young aspiring writer, very much like this uh, movie is, who moves, uh, who visits Northanger Abbey, which is like this haunted place, but she's always reading a gothic romances and she's always like putting herself in the place of the heroine very similar to this movie i don't he didn't quote northanger abbey but i feel like um it's probably part of it but i'm pretty sure she's reading the castle of otranto or something like it in northanger abbey also rebecca and there's a movie called Bluebeard's Wife, or a book called Bluebeard's Wife or Wives that he also said and that's said being made inspired. into a movie now too like did Ooh. you hear about that did i imagine no. it like oh uh, fuck um yeah. so um but i it just you Which, happened to mention bluebeard and i was like oh my god i literally just yeah that that's being made it's called movie. bluebeard's wife mm-hmm. or wives yes so yes. I, I haven't read yet okay. but um he he said that one's also very similar to this movie and the poem the fall of the house of usher oh god which is a lot of which yeah makes so much sense it's a, it's edgar Allan poe if you don't know who it is so i think before we get too far into it sorry because we just got straight into it but we do need to do a little bit of housekeeping guys sorry yeah sorry we'll, we'll get back love, to Guillermo. i love books so i will talk about Me books too. all day I, have, so. <laughs> I i need to buy like three more bookshelves for my house because i have too many vhs's and too many books and i keep wanting to buy more books and i'm like you you your bookshelf is full, Katie. You have to wait. Um, so anyways, um, so do you have any housekeeping, Brittany? Because no, I know ma'am. I do. Okay, I want to hear yours. Okay, so Vanessa Kirby is the person who was in Pieces of a Woman. Yes. Sorry, completely blanked on her name. Also, um, so I kept confusing because Viola Davis and... Octavia Spencer were both nominated for the help, but in different categories. And I was getting confused which person won for which year and which thing. So Viola Davis, or Viola, I can never remember how she wants people to say her name. I'm sorry, Viola Davis. I think Viola is so pretty, though. Um, Viola Davis won Best Supporting Actress for Fences, which I did say last time. But she was nominated for Best Actress for the help. Okay. Before, so... But then she also was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and didn't win for Doubt. Mm. Octavia Spencer won for The Help, Best Supporting Actress. And she's only ever been nominated as a supporting actress for The Shape of Water and Hidden Figures were her two nominees that she didn't win. Um, So, and I think The Help, like, I'm pretty sure that was her first nomination and won. But now she's been nominated twice since then. And Octavia Spencer's from Alabama, so. Yeah. Get it, girl. I love her. But yeah, um, I did hear some movie news that I wanted to share with you. Okay. So, Chloe Zhao, or Zhao is, I think, actually how you're supposed to pronounce it. Um, she just won Best Director and Best Movie, uh, Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, China has been touting her as, like, the golden child of China because she grew up in China. And she now lives in America. Um, they've started censoring her and they won't release as of May 3rd, when I saw an article about it, they're not releasing Nomad Land in China, even though it was supposed to on April 23rd. Oh, wow. Because, because when she, in 2013, when she was being interviewed for a magazine, she just happened to mention, this is literally all she says, that when she was a teenager in China, 
being in a place where there are lies everywhere, you felt like you were never going to be able to get out. That's all she said. And now she's banned in China. And she's like, like she, her like parents are like movie stars in China and like comedians and stuff. So it's like, she's not like, she's like rich and like, like in society in China. So it's not like she's like some like poor, like, you know, if they can do that to her, think of what they can do it to other people. I just thought that was really sad. Like, I heard that. I was like, damn. That's like, insane. and literally, like, you're not allowed to tweet about her. Like, because, you know, like, in China, they block your tweets. Yeah. Too. Like, like you can't. They've been, like, like secretly tweeting about her, but, like, using her, like, switching her Chinese name's um, monogram. Switching the, the order of the letters. And, like, co- doing coded messages about how ridiculous this is. Wow. So no one in China has gotten to see her movie yet, even though she just won Best Picture. And That's Best insane. Isn't that sad? That's, That's so crazy. I know. Um, also, I finally did find out where Anthony Hopkins was. He was hanging out in Wales. Oh. When he, like, I, I watched his acceptance speech. It was 40 seconds. <laughs> And he mentioned and he Chadwick like, Boseman in it, too, didn't he? He did. He yeah. said he pays tribute to Chadwick Boseman and is so sad that he was cut short and he did not expect to win an Oscar at 83. Also, he apparently has publicly said he doesn't really like the Oscars, so that's probably why he didn't show oh. up. And I told, um, I told Katie this recently, um, and I wanted to share with you guys, too. So I had no idea that Anthony Hopkins is officially the first actor who openly... Um, We'll talk about having autism that has won an Academy Award. So there may have been other actors who have had autism that has won Academy Awards, but if so, they haven't been public about their autism. Um, and I think that's really cool. Not be, not yeah. saying... So to me, it's like really... I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was... I, that was something I learned after the fact that he had autism because I heard yeah. someone mention it and I was like, I've never heard this before in my life. And I started yeah, fact I checking it. Yeah, I started fact checking it and it's legitimate. Um, so I did think that was really, really cool that um, that he, because we, uh, this was not something that was public knowledge when he first won his first Academy Award, uh, of course, being Dr. Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs. This is Which, something, by know. the way, Kathy Bates gave him that award like presented it to him she was the person who was because she had won best supporting oh. actress i guess for misery i would guess is why yeah that makes i don't sense. know yeah i watched his acceptance speech today and i was like i was like oh kathy bates we love us some kathy bates yeah she's, she's great good stuff yes um he was also wearing really thick glasses when he accepted his award it was cute oh. sorry it's real cute um yeah anthony hopkins is class act but yeah he really doesn't he was very honored but like apparently he's spoken negatively about the oscars he's i think he's more he's cynical like i am about them yeah. so is francis mcdormand i don't think she get like i told you she doesn't give a shit about winning the oscar anymore and yeah. every time she wins she's like thanks peace out she's like i just want to work yeah so um which is fine but I'm like, I feel like, but I feel like maybe that's why the Academy keeps giving it to them because they're like, please like us, please like us. And they're just too cool for it. And it's like all these people who like, like Scar, Scar Joe last year. I forgot, I mean, last year or the year before? No, it was last year. Um, I forgot. She got nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Best Actress yeah. and lost both. Yeah. In this, I was like, 
Damn. But you know what? I'm like, I am one of those people. And I know we won't get on the Oscar tangent because it's very no, easy to do. No, that was last week. That was but, last week. But at the Sorry. same time, I'm one of those people that I would be like, I would be really honored to even be nominated. I am one of those people that I'm like, it's an honor to be nominated. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, but like, you that, know, Leo was chomping at the bit for years. Yeah. And well, even like with ScarJo, she's such a young actress that I mean, she's going to have plenty of chances to be nominated. But again. Glenn Close has never won. Yeah. Which is insane when you think about it. She's been nominated like, what, eight times? Record, like record that. breaking time, hasn't it? I think you're right. I think it has been eight or more at this point. Yeah. Speaking of Oscar winners that never expected to win, um, I, well, on what we're watching, um, I have finished the first two seasons of Broadchurch, which is an amazing British serial. Um, I guess it's more of a procedural. Um, it's on Netflix. You should definitely watch it. It's an older show. It's been off air for a couple of years, I think. But it stars Olivia Coleman and David Tennant as police detectives trying to solve a young boy's murder in a seaside British town. And Olivia Coleman, so she's absolutely a powerhouse in Broadchurch if you haven't seen it yet. So, and it's it's a British series, so I think there's about eight episodes per season. So, like, it's not super long. And each season kind of buttons itself up, even though it's a continuing story of this town dealing with this one crime there's it's like different stages of the justice process is buttoned up after each season um also have you have you seen case 39 yet brit so it stars renee zellweger and bradley cooper and it also has ian mcshane in it and i love ian mcshane you know who i'm talking about right Mm mm-hmm He's in Deadwood. He's on American Gods. Yes. He has such a... Also, by the way, he was the bad guy in the musical version of The Witches of Eastwick, which I finally found the soundtrack to because I was ah. given one of the songs in college. And he's the bad guy. He's Jack Nicholson's character oh, in it. Yeah. And he's his singing voice is really good. He's a great voice. I love Ian McShane. Anyways, it, I highly recommend... I won't say it's Grindhouse Girls material, but it, it is it was a fun little watch and it's very unique in where it goes. It's basically like a social worker um, removes this little girl from what she thinks is an abusive home situation, but it turns out to be something very different. Yeah. And it goes into a place that I didn't think it was gonna go to, but I kind of appreciate it for sticking to its guns. But the ending was very different than I was uh, than most movies would go. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those movies that I've heard about for years. I've just never actually watched because I I thought it was a very different movie when I first saw it. So it's not like I wouldn't say it's like the best, but it's like a it's like an interesting crime drama. It kind of goes like The Ring, where like kind of some silly horror happens, but all it 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 keeps you guessing. Yeah. So I don't know. It it goes to places I didn't think it was gonna go. Um. Also, have you watched? This is just came out on Netflix, but it's an it's Amanda Seyfried is in this movie. Things heard and seen. Have you, have you I, watched I, it? Yet? No, I ha- I haven't. But I saw the trailer, and then I was like, I have to look this up. And all I saw was the fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, and I think I'm gonna skip this. No, I thought it was actually quite interesting. Now I did. I watched it kind of in the background, um, but it was so good that like. I, I when if I had to go leave the room to do something, I paused it on my TV and took it into the room with me on my phone because I was that interested in it. Again, not amazing, 
but I thought it was super decent. Like, it was as good as Run was, I thought. Um, okay. There's some, like, like, it's really good and more of a mystery up until the very end where things get kind of silly. Have you watched anything fun or new? So, oh yeah. Um, so I know it's like surprising. It's like, what? Brittany watched something other than the movie this week? What the hell? Um, so <laughs> we finished Banshee. Uh, Yay. and the, yeah, we finished Banshee. So this was the fourth season. We wrapped it up. Um, the fourth season is definitely more lackluster than the other three seasons, uh. but it was still decent. Um, I have to, I have to say, I, want more people to watch this show because it's just fucking insane and I've never gotten uh-huh. into, I've never gotten into a show that was an action show before so this show is like more than any other genre is predominantly action but I like the characters so much so when they were put in high tense situations I kind of got scared for them and that was a first for oh, me okay. yeah that was a first for me um and the characters are really likable like I knew there was always something wrong with me um, that I always liked Homelander in The Voice. And then I realized it's because <laughs> Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander and who plays Lucas Hood, the lead character in Banshee, he's so charismatic. Um, I love it. It's like he commands mm-hmm. the screen when he's on the screen. But more than that... Well, that's why he makes such a good Homelander because, like, that's how he gets away with all that bullshit is because he's so charismatic. Yeah, exactly. And what's great is, like, Lucas, like, so Anthony Starr is, like, a phenomenal leading man in the series, but even all the side characters, all the deputies we love. So, like, I won't spoil anything, but a few deputies die during the run of the show. And, I mean, we were heartbroken every time because Ew. you liked the characters so much. Um, what I also uh binged in three days and my mom binge with me um so we watched Ooh. we watched invincible um which is on amazon prime it is i've heard of it but i haven't watched it yet so it is a animated um superhero tv show it's uh the first season is eight episode longs it's okay so i didn't know what i was getting myself into so the basic basic premise is there's a young man he's 17 years old and his father is the strongest superhero in the world named Omni man well, he discovers that he finally gets his superpowers. So he starts training to become a superhero. His dad starts teaching him. And you think, like, okay, like, this is the premise of the show. And then literally in the last five minutes of the episode, shit hits the fucking fan in a red wedding. Oh, yeah, don't tell me. Yeah, in a red wedding yeah, way. Don't tell me, don't tell me. I'm not don't telling me, you. I'm not telling you. I'm just telling. I'm not, I'm not spoiling it. All I'm saying is, oh, my fucking God, my mouth literally hit the ground. And it just goes from there. It is absolutely balls to the walls crazy. My mom basically said every episode, oh my god, Brittany, this is really violent. And then we saw Robert <laughs> and then we saw Robert Kirkman was the creator. And Robert Kirkman created The Walking oh, Dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's based on he a comic he no did. sympathy for people Stephen, dying. Stephen Young. Stephen Young plays the lead character. Stephen Young <gasps> Stephen plays Young! the lead character. J.K. Simmons. I love you, Stephen Young. J.K. Simmons ooh, plays ooh, his ooh. dad. Yes. Sandra, okay. Sandra okay. O plays his mom. Like, oh, yes. Not he has, Sandra. Yeah. So, if you like the boys, you will like this show, but fair warning, this is even okay. more, this is more violent than the boys. And I haven't gotten to finish the boys yet, so yeah. maybe I should finish the boys once I finish Broadchurch. Um, yeah, anyways, so, sorry guys, we went on a tangent there. Um, I guess it's time to get back into Crimson Peak. What do you yes. think? Yes. I think so. Let's go. Yes, for unless it. there was anything else you had watched that you wanted to tell. No, us about. Uh, I Banshee and um, Banshee and Invisible were my two that I finished. So that's that's two whole seasons, which is not bad considering that usually I fall asleep when I get home from work. So, 
Yeah, and see, usually I'm a TV show person, but I found myself, like, just binge-watching movies this weekend. Ooh. Okay, so Crimson Peak, uh, like I said, the first time I saw a commercial for it, I knew I had to see this movie. Um, I love Guillermo del Toro. I remember seeing the Oscars where he won – well, Pan's Labyrinth won for, I think, production? design i think it may have been production or like makeup it could have been makeup. yeah but they were nominated for best international film yeah so i saw a lot of clips from pan's labyrinth and it deeply intrigued me as a i think i was in high school when it came out um i was deeply intrigued by it i was like who is this guillermo del toro and then i saw devil's backbone on um bravo's hundred serious movie moments i was like oh it's that guillermo del toro guy oh my god so when crimson peak came out I had seen Pan's Labyrinth, and I was an adult, and I was like, I have to see this movie, because I saw the red ghosts, and just a beautiful set, and I was like, oh my god, I could just eat this set alive. And he, in fact, has said that he was creating a living painting with this movie, which is why the set is so fantastic, and the costumes are so fantastic, and everything is just a visual feast for the eyes, which is... Well, you know, Brittany, that's always the movies I like, are the ones that are just pretty to look at. Like, I love Midsummer. And Suspiria, one and two, because, like, I, I mean, I guess it's not one and two, but old and new. Yeah. Like, because they, they're just so visually cool. And I think a lot of people with, you know, if, if you like to paint or, or, like, a lot of people are visual learners. I'm a visual person. I don't know if it's because I paint, painting and going to art museums has always been a big thing. So anything that, like, looks visually stunning, I'm going to eat it up. But... I also like this movie because there are a lot of twists and turns. So I'm going to warn people, do not listen to this podcast until you've seen the movie. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. Because I don't want anyone to know too much about this movie because I think it, it was so much more enjoyable for me not knowing a whole lot about it except that I really liked how it looked yeah. when I saw it. Um, and it is a gothic romance. It... Don't be fooled by romance because it's it's romanticized more than like a love story. It's much yeah. more romanticized. Like I mean, I don't know. You know, basically, as Henry James, who wrote *The Turning of the Screw*, defined gothic romance, it's a marriage of love and death. Yeah. So it's really deep and twisted, but there's a lot of emotions, and it's usually ghostly it's a really scary thing um but anyways this is one of my favorite movies like i i wouldn't say it's like my top like best made movies even though the production values are great i'm not gonna say it's like oscar worthy yeah i think the production value is oscar worthy but i wouldn't say this movie's like an oscar movie i think this is more of a fun movie though i'm just gonna say there's a there's a little bit of something missing in crimson peak that just makes it just south of being like that kind of a Guillermo del Toro film. Yeah. As much as I love this movie. Um, but yeah, w- did you have anything to add to the intro, Britt? Yeah. So um, what I love about del Toro too is like Katie's mentioned that uh, he's done Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water, Devil's Backbone. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got into him as a relatively younger teenager because I love Hellboy and Hellboy 2 when I was a kid. And he, <gasps> yes. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of that I couldn't say. Dang it. Yes, Hellboy. So I loved Hellboy. And also, he's a producer and writer on one of my favorite, favorite, favorite horror movies, which is The Orphanage. Um, He helped produce Mama. Um, Also produced The Strain. 
Yeah, and scary Which stories really to tell in the dark. TV show. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't gotten to watch that yet. Oh, Hellboy, by the way, the only reason I watched it was because my friend Daniel in high school said, was talking about Hellboy, and I was like, what is this movie about? And he's like, you like him, Katie. He's Catholic like you. So I ended up watching it literally for that reason, and I ended up loving Hellboy. Yes. And yeah, and Ron Perlman. Oh, not the new one. Yeah. Don't watch the new one, apparently. Yeah, so I mean, the thing about Del Toro is like, this is definitely like, like Katie said, this is a gothic romance movie, but at the same time, mm-hmm. every single movie he's attached to always can guarantee to have very strong visual elements. Um, so like yes. Hellboy, abs- it's a superhero movie, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, so The Orphan is absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Mama, I mean, Mama is like a fairy tale, like another. Yeah, that's one I've been trying movie. to get my hands on. Oh God, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I know. Jessica Chastain is in Mama, and she's the lead character yeah. in Mama, and she is uh just fantastic in that movie. Um, so yeah, I mean. That's what I love about Del Toro is that, like, every time he attaches his name to something, you know it's going to be very strong visually. And it's going to be a story that, like, if you love, like, things that are, like, creepy or different or weird, you're going to love it. His movies all have kind of a very fairy tale element to them every single time. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's what is missing with this because it doesn't seem as fairy tale as much as just strictly gothic romance. I think there's a little bit of whimsy that's not in this movie Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's a whimsical element to Pan's Labyrinth with like the fairies and the fawn and Shape of Water is very much a fairy tale even though it's it is more science fiction but it's there's a fairy tale element to it and Hellboy has a little more fairy tale elements Mm -hmm. I think because the characters are fantasy characters. I love Abe. And Abe Sapien. Um who famously is voiced by David Hyde Pierce, but he would not take the credit because Doug Jones plays him. And Doug Jones plays many characters in this movie. Because Doug Jones, if you don't know who Doug Jones is, I'm sure I've said this before, he is one of the absolute best body actors out there. That's probably what he's most famous for, but he's also done a lot of just straight acting. By the way, he's Billy Bone. He was Billy, not Billy Bones, Billy Butcher. Billy Butcher. That's his name. Butcherson? Butcherson? In Hocus Pocus. Yes. He was one, which is one of my favorite parts of Hocus Pocus is Billy. Um, but yeah, so he's been in like everything. And he's a really cute Instagram account, by the way. Like, I guess we'll do the synopsis first. Yeah, and the, so. we'll just give a little bit of rundown, just touch on the main characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do that. That's fine. Um... It was also written, by, co-written by Del Toro and Matthew Robbins, who uh, is working on uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio animated film that's coming out, I think, on Netflix soon. Um, but he also helped out with the script, uncredited, on Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Dragon Slayer, which I've heard of, and I'm not sure if I've actually seen. There was a lot of dragon fantasy movies in the late 90s that I can't remember if it's the one I saw or not. Mimic, which Del Toro directed, but was his, like, he hated the working environment because he was working for Harvey Weinstein. And, like, somebody, was it, who was it? It was one of his friends almost got into a fight with Weinstein about it because, like, a fist fight because they treated Del Toro so shitty. Like, he hated the experience of working with a big um, Hollywood company. Um, but, he, and also Batteries Not Included, which is, like, an 80s movie that, is like a cult classic. It's like a sci-fi movie, I'm pretty sure, that I keep hearing about and I've never actually... I think I've seen it, but I don't remember what happened because it's been a long time. Um, Just to give you a little more background. But Del Toro wrote 
with Matthew Robbins and directed it. Let's see. So, synopsis. Aspiring novelist and newlywed American heiress Edith travels across the pond with her handsome new baronet husband and his ever-present sister Lucille following a personal tragedy. Once there, she begins to uncover the ghosts of Crimson Peak that are very real and may help her uncover all of its deep, dark secrets. Bum, bum, bum. And that's oh, it. Movie. That's the movie. Yes, that's the movie. The end by... <laughs> uh, so I think we've mentioned Mia Wazikowska, uh, who plays Edith Cushing. Her first name comes from Edith Wharton, who was a very famous uh, novelist. And last name actually comes from Peter Cushing, who played Dracula. Um, and uh, she's been a lot of stuff. I think people mostly know her for Alice in Wonderland, because she's Alice. But she also was in Park Chan-wook's only English film to date, Stoker, which I haven't seen yet, but it's on my list. Uh, only Lovers Left Alive, which is, again, on my list. She was Jane Eyre and Jane Eyre. And she's in this movie, Piercing, which I keep wanting to see and I don't watch. Yeah. Um, she was yeah. she was also uh one of the first things I saw her in was that she was in the kids are all right. Um, so oh yeah, yeah. Um, and Only Lovers Left Alive. She actually t- started in that film with Tom Hiddleston. So this is her second movie she's done with Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was Emma Bovary and Madame Bovary, and she was also in mm-hmm. Helen Hatton and The Devil All the Time, which is the most recent movie I've seen her in. Yeah. Yes, which I've heard very varying. I liked it. I liked it. It's not for everybody. Um, it's it's my understanding. I have. I will say this real quick. I haven't read the book of the devil all the time, but it's a pretty literal adaptation of the book. And as you know, when you're literally adapting a novel, sometimes it's a little bit too much for some people. Yeah. But I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I will say that. And Rob Pattinson it, good. and he's fucking crazy as Robert Patterson always is. So. <laughs> um. Also, I, I find it funny. So we've got Emil Wasikowska, who's an Australian actress playing an American. The other American in this movie, which is not the secondary character, but he is a character, is Charlie Hunnam's character, Dr. Alan McMichaels, um, who's an ophthalmologist and childhood friend of Edith's who has just returned from to New York from England. Um, uh, he's also Australian. But he also plays the only other American. I just find that really funny because Jessica Chastain is American. She has a British accent. A flawless accent. I love her accent in this movie. Her voice is beautiful in this movie. Um, If you think you know uh, Charlie Hunnam, it's probably because he played Jax in Sons of Anarchy. He is buff. I love love him in Sons of Anarchy. And I I think, I don't know if I even finished the second season, but he was probably my favorite part. Um, But there's something about that british australian person doing an american accent it's so you can't really they never sound like they come from a specific part in america but it's like it's like a i don't know it's a cool thing yeah i think he does a good job for his accent um he's also was in del toro's specific room movies children of men and the lost city of z which i keep hearing people telling me i need to watch it and i haven't watched it yet um jessica chastain actually is probably the secondary character she plays Lady Lucille Sharp. Do you want to go into this? Yeah. Or, or you want to? So, yeah. Uh, you're good. You're good. Jessica Chastain. I felt like I was talking a lot. No, you're good. You're good. Jessica Chastain is absolutely phenomenal. So, uh, 
I, uh, she was in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, she was actually nominated for Best Actress mm-hmm. for Zero Dark Thirty. She was in The Help. Um, I think that was one of her first breakout roles was in The Help. And she got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for that. She did, yeah. Uh, she was in a, yeah. a little... She's cute in that. She is. She's cute in that. Ter- uh, she was also in Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, uh, which is one of our good friends, Jonathan's, one of his favorite movies. So I've discussed The Tree of Life many, many times. And um, that's it's a beautiful <laughs> movie. She was in A Most Violent Year. Uh, Interstellar, Mama, and of course The Martian. So she has a pretty like yeah. solid filmography list. And Molly's Game. Oh yeah, that's right. And I I hadn't seen Molly's Game, so that's one of the food movies. I haven't yeah. either, but I had it had a lot of Oscar buzz about it. And then I don't think I don't even know if she got nominated for Molly's Game, honestly. Mm. But it had a lot of Oscar buzz, and then I feel like it didn't really get nominated for much. Yeah. So. And, oh, she was also, she plays, I think she plays adult Bev in It Chapter 2. She, two, yes, right? you, yes, you're right. Which I haven't gotten yes. to watch yet. Yes, ah, yes, I completely forgot. Yeah, she is. So, because she, yeah. Yeah. And, cool trivia, she was supposed to be Edith originally in Del Toro's original script. And, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch was supposed to be Tom Hiddleston's part, by the way. Yes. But he had to back out. Um, But she read the script and liked Lucille's part better. So she asked to play her because she was more complicated. So, I found that cool. I was like, I again, Brittany said this earlier. She's like, I couldn't really see her yeah. as Edith. And I was like, yeah, she's, she's so like, good as Lucille. Like, she's a beautiful woman, but even just her face is so sharp. I couldn't imagine her in yeah. that kind of role, like, personally. Well, maybe if they had gone blonde like she was for The Help. Because she's pretty soft in The Help. Because she's like the blonde, you know, she has like bleach blonde hair mm-hmm. in The Help. And in this movie, too, like, she doesn't have her, like traditional she's like a redhead um she also always gets mistaken for um ron howard's daughter bryce dallas howard yes Um, that's true she does jessica chastain's a better actress than bryce dallas howard but they were both in the help which i totally forgot about that's very very true and yeah she's definitely a beautiful woman but the way and it could be part of the way they did her makeup for this movie but i was noticing how angular her face was in certain Mm -hmm. in certain shots that she was in like yeah. absolutely she's stu- stunning woman but yeah it's it's hard to imagine her as like a this kind of naive heroine and i told katie this before we started filming i actually read emma stone was also originally chosen for edith's part and i could not Ooh. imagine that I, I love emma stone i uh-uh. think she's an absolute stunning woman but i could not imagine her in that role at all yeah i just i i could see her in the first part of this movie because this movie is split like a play in two acts um, which I always love. I love theater. So, cool. Uh, we both do, because we both have theater degrees. Um, but that's really cool. But, like, once the second act was started, I would have been like, this, uh, it's the girl from Super, from, uh, Super Bad. Yeah. True. <laughs> and, like, I love her, but she will never stop being Super Bad. Yeah, Jules. Girl. Yeah. Jules. I was like, what was her name? Fa- I family, I remember Family Jules. Like. So, anyways, poor Emma Stone. Uh. Not last, but certainly not least, is Tom Hilston, aka Loki, which is what everyone knows him as. Yes. Poor guy. Yeah. Um. He's definitely a Loki, but he was also in Only Lovers Left Alive. He was in High Rise. He played Hank Williams in the yep. Hank Williams biopic I Saw the Light, and he was also in Kong Skull Island. Um. My understanding is is that and- he was a classically trained theater actor too, and he did a mm-hmm. lot of yeah. theater shows. I love hearing him in interviews because he, in the Comic-Con interview for this, he has so much respect for, like, the people that designed and built this set. Which, by the way, they built the whole fucking house. 
on a soundstage. He actually, on YouTube, um, it's a featurette from the movie. He takes you on a tour of it the day before they had to demolish it. So if you want to listen to Tom Hiddleston talk about the set, I think it's really cool. But he seems to really appreciate the craft of the entire film. And he's not just like a superficial actor. Um, also, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but the Night Manager miniseries, Mm-mm. he's the main character in that, which I haven't finished it, but I got like halfway through it and it was really good. Um, and he was in War Horse, which I have seen the play and I bawled my eyes out, which I, I don't want to see the movie because the play has still left me scarred. It's just like Dogtooth, only it was about horsies. I really like horses. I grew up next to a horse farm when I was a little girl, and I get real sad. Um, I think the only other two people to really mention are Edith Stad, Carter Cushing. Yeah, um, and that's Jim Beaver. And a widower. Yeah. He's in a ton of stuff. Uh, so what like a character actor. So what I know him from, and what a lot of people know him from, he is he Bobby in Supernatural. So, which is actually a huge character in Supernatural. He's pretty much a Sam and Dean surrogate fodder. Okay, because mm-hmm. I was like, I've seen Supernatural, but I've only seen like the first couple seasons. So I'm like, I don't know if I've seen him. Yeah, in it or not. He's in the he's in the first season. He's pretty much in every season. Okay. So yeah. So, but he's he's awesome. great. Um, he's he's a fan favorite. And that show. So that's, of course, the first thing. As soon as I saw this movie, we were like, Bobby! As soon as we saw him. So <laughs> He was also on Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And apparently he's a character on The Boys. Which I don't know which character he is on The Boys. But he's apparently in The Boys, too. I know. I need to go watch it. I wonder. I know. Oh, oh, you know what? I wonder if he's going to be in season three. Because Jensen Ackles is going to be in season three as a main character. Because uh, Kirby, Eric Kirby, who did Supernatural, who's the creator of Supernatural, does the boys. Oh, maybe that's why. Yeah. But I just read that on his IMDb and I was like, oh. But I assumed I just hadn't gotten to that part yet. Because I haven't finished Mm -hmm. the boys yet. Um, And then he's a very minor part. But he's a face that I always recognize when he's on screen is Burn Gorman, which I didn't know his name, who plays a private investigator, Holly. Um, he's in both of the Pacific Rim movies. He's in Dark Knight Rises. He's been in Game of Thrones! And Jamestown and The Expanse. And he's going to voice a character in Pinocchio for Del Toro. Uh-huh. So He's really the only other person that I was like, he's not really a big character, but I was like, I know that face. And... He's in Game of Thrones. Well, we do got... Like a minor character. We do got Doug Jones and Javier Botet, too. Yes, yes. Uh, well, we already mentioned Doug Jones. Yeah. So... Well, ha- I love Doug Javier Jones. Botet, uh, without going into super yes. major spoilers, uh, plays plays a few different ghosts in the movies. Um, but mm-hmm. he was also uh, Tristana Murdios in the Wreck franchise. So that's kind of what put him on the board. But he was also mm. Mama and Mama. So... He was, and he was the um, the spirit in his house. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because that that's the first him. time we heard his name. I was like, why is this name? This guy looks so familiar. And I was like, oh, he's been in all these creepy movies. He's like Doug Jones, only yes. Spanish. So, cool. Um, so, I guess we're going to get into spoilers now. Yes. Spoilers. Beware of Spoiler Peak, which is now. Yes. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, it's a good ghost story, even though the ghosts are metaphors. Ah, it's great. Um, but they are also real, but I love it. It's one of those movies, too. Like, I feel like 
he never mentions this, but I feel like he must have read Northanger Abbey or something. Because, like, because when it's about a writer, like, they're writing stuff, and then it's, like, it's actually influencing what's happening in their life, and then art imitating life and blah, blah, blah. I love that aspect of this movie. Um, do we want to start just kind of going through the plot? Or do yeah. we want to just kind of touch on some cool stuff? I don't know. What yeah, do we, do? we can, we can kind of give, like, a, a basic rundown of the plot. And... Um, yes. I can start. Um, so we opened up in 1887. Okay. Uh, Edith's mother had died of black cholera, which I wasn't uh, familiar with, so I actually looked it up. It was a huge pandemic uh, during this time frame, and it actually turned people's skin like a blackish blue. So that's like legit. Yeah. It's it's cholera is cholera. Uh-huh. It's a bacterial infection, usually um, due to really bad water. Yeah. So it's usually it's it's an intestinal bacteria so black cholera is kind of all the same stuff according to wikipedia but uh, it's they started calling it black cholera in that time period but cholera is still around yeah actually in places where like fresh water is hard to come by um but it's pretty much eradicated in the united states i do love we have to mention the opening line which is ghosts are real yeah which is just so creepy, and I love it. Like, she's just like, not playing any games. Ghosts are real people. This is not a metaphor yeah. for something. I mean, it is, but it isn't. And that's just, this is one of those movies where it literally starts at the open. So it's like, you the first scene of the movie is also the last scene of the movie, but we go back to see how we got there, too. Yeah. 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 So, Which I kind of love and hate. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, some people love it, some people don't like it. I admit it's very visually striking to see her. Because the first mm-hmm. time you see her, she has blood all over her, hair's wild and everywhere. And she has this long blonde hair, and she's wearing this long billowy white gown. And so it's like a very striking... And it's all foggy and snowy, mm-hmm. yeah. And the only thing you really see are, like, the highlights of red blood. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely like scene grabbing, but that's when we go back and we we find out that you know her mother had died um, of cholera, and so after they bury her mom, her mom comes and visits her, like her mother's ghost comes and visits her, and she's like this black ghost, uh, absolutely terrified. Which is Doug Jones, by the way. Yeah, and it's like she's absolutely terrified, but she crawls into bed, and this so this was really cute. So the second time I was watching this, uh, so the first the second time I ever seen it, my mom was watching it with me, and she's like. No mother would ever purposely scare her child. That's what my mom. I know. Yeah. I was like, lady. Yeah. And come on. so she like grabs onto her small daughter, who's probably like 10, 11 years old. And she's like, beware of Crimson Peak. And so it sets events in the motions okay. of the film. So. Yeah. Which is great. And we, we find Edith in Buffalo, New York. And this is like the 1800s. The Victor- kind of Victorian times, the Gilded Age, I think it's what they call it. Gilded Age, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and I love the production design of this movie. I mean, we could talk forever about the production design, but one thing you'll notice is when they're in America with Edith, everything's gold. Yeah, like she's wearing golden clothes. Like the streets are yellow. Like everything's like this beautiful, like bright, hopeful color. And then when you go across the pond to Allerdale Hall. Um, everything's very cold and this cyan kind of tinge to it. And the only color you ever see is red. And so it, it it's like hopelessness yeah. in the dour surroundings. So I find it so cool that like they're, they're telling you the theme in the background of each character because she's like this bright, cheerful, 
hopeful woman and she's an aspiring novelist and she is an heiress her dad is an entrepreneur it looks like he is like an architectural magnet and he um runs a bunch of stuff and he's really cool um they're they got a cute little relationship and she wants to have her um she, she does the joe march thing yeah and she's like oh, i'm gonna publish my story um the the publisher sees her basically as a favor to her dad and he's like, oh, well, this is scary and you don't have a love story in it. And she's pissed. Um, but she does run into her childhood friend, doc- who's now a doctor, Alan McMichaels, and his family. And they mention that his sister Eunice has made a conquest of a baronet from England. And they're coming over just to just to see Eunice. Um, and you can tell that Alan has feelings for Edith. And she probably did have feelings for him, too. But um, he went away for several years. I like there's a line in this part of the movie, too, where mm-hmm. they, they joke on her. They're like, I think they they compare her to Charles, or Charlotte Bronte. And they're like, didn't she die a spinster? And she's like, I prefer to be Mary Shelley. She died a widow. And it's like foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I love it. There's so much. I have like a whole section of foreshadowing yeah. in my notes because I'm like, I love it. It's great. Oh, I think that was one of the ones I wrote down. But yeah, I love that. I also like started looking up Mary Shelley. I was like, was she a widow? Oh yeah, she did die after him. Mm-hmm. Um, who Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, obviously. She kept his heart in a desk. What? Hey, listen. <laughs> they didn't have photos back then. Do you think she used it for no? No, no but they really did. They found his when she passed away, they did find his heart wrapped. In a in like some paper in her desk, like literally. So he drowned at sea very young. You know, so I love the romantics. So I know a lot about the romantics. So I mean, he also for uh, he uh, also this is not a good thing about the two of them. Uh, so Percy Shelley um, was married when he met Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. He got her pregnant and ran off while he was still married. Yep. And he basically forced his distraught wife to, not forced, but emotionally, um, made his wife so upset she eventually committed suicide. And that's how he and Mary Shelley were able to get married. So, am I sad that he died young? I don't know. Um, I don't want anyone to die young. But, like, Byron the fact was that fucked he up basically. Too. What? I said Lord, Brian, Lord Byron was fucked up, too. Oh, yeah, and they, like, they, they stayed with Lord Byron, and that's when they wrote Frankenstein, mm-hmm. or she wrote Frankenstein, was staying with... Lord Byron was, like... That's another thing, like, if you ever read any, like, uh, Regency novels, or, like, like that time period, like, Victorian novels, they're always like, ooh, and that Lord Byron with his curls and his sexy things. I don't know. It's just funny. I'm like, because now we think Lord Byron's so tame, but he was like, oh. Yeah. Um... Anyways, he was infamous. So, anyways, uh, Edith ends up, you know, so she runs into Alan, and she goes to her dad's work, and he gives her this pen. He thought, I thought this was going to be a celebration. I'm sorry that they haven't accepted your novel yet. But he gives her this really nice pen. He says, like, the, you know, to get a, uh, you need the right tools for the right kind of job. So he gives her a very nice pen so she can write her novel. But she ends up going to borrow the typewriter at her dad's work and she's at the front desk with the secretary and Thomas Sharp comes in. Sir Thomas Sharp, baronet, and it's the guy that Eunice and her sisters were talking about. And um, he kind of mistakes her for the secretary and they kind of have some banter and he picks up her novel and he's like, 
oh, I really like the ghosts in this. It's very cool. And, like, he, so he has some admiration. She tells him, oh, it's my novel. And um, they automatically have a connection. Um, and he tries unsuccessfully to get Edith's, Edith's father to invest in um, an invention to help with clay mining at Allerdale Hall in Cumberland, England, which is where he's from. Basically, they have this scarlet clay, and it's really good for bricklaying, but their mines have been depleted. So this would help reopen the mines because it um, is less dangerous than actually mining because you can always have mines collapse and things like that. Um, but basically, basically, it seems like, one, Edith's dad does not like the aristocracy. He wants, like, you know, working men. He's, you know, people that work with their hands and rise up through the ranks, which is what he did. Um, but also he just thinks that there's something not quite right about yeah. him. You know. And he does seem very charming, but it also seems like, I don't know, he's maybe too perfect. Yeah. And Edith points out shortly after, like, she was like, you weren't giving him a chance. And, you know, she points out, and I thought this was very interesting, and it does make them stick out. So when you see Thomas, when you see Lucille, it's, she's like, you know, they're very well, she's like, he's very well dressed, but his clothes are like 20 years old. Like, she's like, he's mm-hmm. completely out of fashion. And so she's yeah. like, he does not have nice things, and he's trying. Like, you mm-hmm. kind of know from the setup that the family money is running out. And so there's another sense. Yeah. So Edith sees the dreamer in him, and her dad's like, nope, mm-hmm. I don't trust him. So. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you don't get it. I get it, too. Um, so then we see Edith. Um, her dad is going to this party at Alan's mom's house. And um, it's it's kind of like to seal his sister Eunice's engagement to Thomas Sharp because everyone's expecting Thomas Sharp to propose to Eunice. Um, so uh, Edith is like, I don't really feel like going to the party. She wants to stay and work on her novel. And yet again, she is haunted by the ghost of her mother. Yeah. Who tells her when the time comes, beware of Crimson Peak. And she's freaked out. And so when Sir Thomas Sharp knocks on her door, she doesn't really want to go to the party, but she's like, uh, do I want to stay in my haunted house? Guess not. Guess I'll go to the party yeah. with him. And he's like, I need your help to convince your father that, you know, he needs to invest. And he's like, don't you want to come to the party with me? And so she goes to the party with him. They make quite an entrance. She's in this beautiful silk white dress with, like, bare shoulders. It's very beautiful. Mom said she cleans and... up good and she cleans up fast. That's what my mom said. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, I mean, her hair was already done in the scene before, mm-hmm. I noticed. Because I was like, how'd you get the hair done? And I was like, oh, it was already done. Plus, she has a maid. So, oh, that's like, true. It's not very like, true. Probably. Like, it's not as, yeah. I was like, she's she's pretty wealthy. She's got a maid. Um, that's another thing. She has a lot of comfort at her home. Even though she doesn't seem to, she seems to have a very friendly relationship with staff at her house. But, like, she does have the comforts of having a maid and a butler and things like that at the home. But she is running her father's house because she's the only woman um, living there. Um, so, at the party, um, Sir Thomas, we, we see when we walk in, Lucille, which is Thomas Sharp's sister, Lady Lucille, is playing this beautiful piece on the piano. And she is just capturing everybody's attention. She's got this beautiful red dress on. And she's very different compared to everyone else because she's wearing, like, a very high collar dress but she's very young and married so mostly um, married women are wearing more like off the shoulder dresses but she's very buttoned up and she's in this beautiful scarlet dress um but she's very like cold but charming yeah mm, if that yeah 
Uh, <laughs> um, but basically, Thomas Sharp is asked to um, tell everyone, like, show everyone what the perfect waltz is. And he takes his candle and he's like, you know, um, a candle should not extinguish when dancing the perfect waltz with the perfect partner because it should be so swift. And um, he asks Edith to dance with him. And she's like, um, I'm pretty sure Eunice would like to dance with you. And he's like, oh, I know. But I want you to. And I like this part, too, because, like, basically Lucille is, like, very hesitant. And he says something that comes back, I think, later in the movie where he's like, I close my eyes to things that make me uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. I wrote that down, too. Mm -hmm. And she says, I don't want to close my eyes. I want to open my eyes. Yeah. Which is very interesting. It's foreshadowing. It's great. Because, and and before we, like, the active foreshadowing, he is a person who is trying to hide from his family's debt and his crumbling fortune and family problems. He's trying to pretend that everything's all right when it's not. Yeah. Whereas she is a person who confronts everything full force and she is not afraid of challenges. And I think that shows how different they are. Um, anyway, sorry. I'm trying to move no, on because I don't want to get too bogged down in the plot. But I like, I love the foreshadowing yeah. of this movie. Um, so anyways, um, the McMichaels uh, are very insulted, but everyone is like wowed by Thomas and Edith's dancing and it's perfect. And Alan and Mr. Cushing are just kind of like, what the fuck? And, he, and he's like, oh, this is an interesting development. Um, so Mr. Cushing actually asked Mr. Holly to look into the sharps because he's just like, there's something not right about this. Um, so we see Edith, um, she goes kind of, her dad's like, you should go hang out with Alan. She goes and hangs out with Alan. It's, he, Thomas really embraced her belief, embraces her belief in like ghosts and her wanting to be a novelist. But Alan does too. Um, he even like brings back these glass plated ghost photographs um, that supposedly are unable to be faked because, you know, he knows that she believes in ghosts and stuff. So he does actually embrace that. And it's very obvious that they've had feelings for each other. They're childhood friends. They get along very well. It seems like they probably would have gotten together, but he went away to school in England. And he says something about, like, I just want you to be very careful about the Sharps. I understand why they're so attractive, but there's something weird about them. I just don't want you to get hurt. And she's like, you know, I did just fine without you when you were gone for such a very long time. And, I mean, it's very obvious that, like, she probably is annoyed with him for leaving. And he's like, ah, shit, I guess I shouldn't have left but you know he's still it still seems like he's still holding out hope that there's hope but he's not quite ready to make a move which is his mistake because dude just make a fucking move if you know she likes you and she's making catty things like you shouldn't have been gone for so long just make a fucking move dude anyways that's probably the thing i don't like about alan is i'm like dude if you just like told her that you had feelings for her she'd probably not even think about thomas sharp Sorry, I, I really like Tom Hilston, but, like, they are such physical opposites. It's very interesting to me. Like, it's obviously a casting choice because he's dark but also very tight, like, skinny, like, svelte. And whereas, like, uh, Charlie Hunnam doesn't really – I will say a weak part of this script is, like, I don't really believe him as a scholar. Yeah. Like, he's like a buff dude. I just love like, it. Just, Spoiler alert, he's the damsel in distress. That's something I really like about. He is, yeah. which is great, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, so anyways, 
um, Edith starts spending a lot of time with Lucille and um, Thomas, and Thomas is like reading all of her novel, and he's like, "Ooh, I like the love story part of this. It's like actually, I actually really like this part." And it is funny because Thomas is definitely more of the romanticized person than the female character. And she's like, "I mean, just a couple chapters." She's like, "I'm just writing it in there because I have to." Yeah. Um, and Lucille teaches Edith this very brutish lesson about these like she sees these butterflies and these moths and the moths are fine but the butterflies are dying because the sun's not out and she's like yes nature is savage and beautiful things are fragile and in england we only have moths and then she goes edith asks so what do the moths feed on and she goes butterflies i'm afraid which i get in the plot what they're trying to say that Lucille is a person that would feed on someone like Edith, who she perceives to be beautiful and fragile. But if she just said that they didn't have any butterflies in England, I don't understand how the moths are surviving if there are no butterflies to eat. Just saying. Plot plot hole! I'm just kidding. It's not a really big deal. But it just, it dawned on me the fourth time listening to it. I was like, but where do they get the butterflies? Anyways. Um, then you see that Lucille begrudgingly gives Thomas their family, like, heirloom ring. And it's this very gigantic red ring, which back then, I mean, engagement rings were different. Like, they weren't, like, uh, engagement rings weren't even that big of a thing, really. Like, until turn of the century. Yeah. Like, people did give rings out, but it wasn't as common. Um, but she kind of um, says, like, I think she's too young, but Thomas, like, really wants to choose Edith. And um, she basically says, like, ooh. This is not her ring. This is my ring. I earned it. And you're like, what do you mean you earned this ring? What yeah. the hell did you do? Um, and the next thing you kind of know is that Mr. Holly brings Mr. Cushing research. Um, and whatever it says in the research causes him to bribe the Sharps into leaving and to convince Thomas to break Edith's heart. Um, which he has this great speech where he's just a total dick to her. And he's like, affection has no place in love. Which is more foreshadowing, because the only love Thomas has ever known is one without affection, is one that's suffocating. So, we'll get into that soon. Um, But he ends up writing her a letter and saying, like, I love you, like, I don't want to be without you. This is why your dad thinks because I'm poor, I can't provide for you. Um, And while she's reading this letter and trying to find Thomas and falling back in love with him, uh, her father is being brutally murdered at his club and it's a it's a pretty brutal murder scene yeah it is his face is smashed into a sink multiple times and it does not cut away and there's a lot of blood and yeah that's that's probably the first like really murdery thing that happens is you're like oh fuck and like you know she kind of chooses thomas over alan because alan comes and he tries to he's trying to investigate he's like this doesn't look like an accident looks like someone smashed him into the sink that not that he just simply fell and Edith is just like stop touching him and just like kind of has a meltdown and she clings to Thomas and she ends up marrying him while she's in mourning yeah which is the worst time to marry somebody <sighs> like no Edith no um and basically she is taken away to Allerdale Hall and um, I don't know. You want to take over for a little bit, Britt? Uh, I feel like I've been talking. No, a lot. you're good. So yeah, and um, so yeah, he basically convinces Edith to marry him afterwards, and comes to his home in England, Alderdale Hall, which is yep. absolutely stunning. Um, but the it's a mansion. Oh, it's yeah, it's part. absolutely gorgeous, but it's falling apart. Um, it's sitting on the Red Mire, um, which uh, 
you know, is beneath it. So it almost looks like almost red blood seeping up through the snow yeah. in a way. Um, and, and the set actually had red paint that would ooze out of the walls. Yeah, which is really cool. from the floorboards. And when it's like yeah, when she first steps cool. in, it's like also crumbling under the snow and the rain. So like mm-hmm. the snow is constantly falling or rain is constantly falling yeah. throughout the main like hallway. Um, so it's absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. And this is a very minor thing, but she also finds a dog. And so she's like, oh my God. The puppy. She's like, this dog she just calls from? it doggy. Yeah, she calls it doggy. Um, but yes. It's a little papillon too. It's like the cutest little dog. It is. It's very, very adorable. And it's just like, why the fuck is there a dog out here though? But yeah. Um, but that's when she very early on, uh, Lucille's very cold. She has a string of keys to pretty much everywhere in the house. And mm-hmm. uh, Edith asks for the keys. And Lucille's like, no, I'm not going to give you the keys right now. I don't want you going in some places that are dangerous. But after a couple days, if you want the keys, I'll, I'll get you a copy made. Um, she starts giving Edith a tea. Bullshit. Yeah. And she starts giving Edith a tea. And, uh, yeah, that becomes a thing. Because uh, she always wants Edith to drink that tea. Um, but it's at, oh, yeah. it's at this first point, very, very early on, that Edith is visited by her first ghost. In Guillermo del Toro's favorite room in the set, which is the bathroom. Yeah. And so, um, which it's, and I want to say, um, just kind of speeding through things, she, she gets visited by a few different ghosts and she starts to get very paranoid and very, very upset. Um, so it's agreed upon, uh, she needs some fresh air. She needs to get out of the house. Meanwhile, uh, oh, and she finds before she does that, mm -hmm. the ghosts lead her to find some cylinders of a gramophone. Yes. So like a precursor to a record, basically. We're like wax cylinders. So she's like, oh, that's weird. And she kind of like squirrels them away for later. We also notice that Thomas and like Lucille won't leave Thomas and um, Edith alone. No. Like they have like an intimate moment in his. Um, he has. This is the other weird thing. So Edith is in the regular family quarters. Lucille's in the basement where we never really see her, her quarters. And then he's like in the attic where the nursery was as children. So it's very symbolic. Like he's as far away as he can be. He's kind of living in his head in the attic. And Lucille's like living down in the bellows, like the closest to the heart of the home, which is the clay mines. And then Edith's kind of stuck between them. Yeah. But Lucille will not let them go. Like Edith goes and visits him in his shop in the attic and they start having an intimate romantic moment and she interrupts them to give them tea. Yeah. And it's just really creepy and it's just getting creepier. And we also hear that uh, Lucille thought that Thomas had killed the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A long time ago. He's like, well, I just left it outside. I thought it would die. he's too weak to kill something. Anyways, sorry. There's Oh, we also find out that Thomas and Edith haven't consummated their marriage yet because she yeah. was in mourning and he was really respectful. Yeah, she was like, he, he yeah. respected me in my time of grieving. So, but basically they decide to get out of the house that it would be good for Edith and they go to the post office. But this is very, this is in the olden times. So the post office is a ways away and the snow is really mm-hmm. coming down. So they get snowed in where they consummate mm-hmm. their marriage in one of the most feminist sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. So, I love it. And I love it. Guillermo del Toro says that her embracing her own sexuality actually frees the male character and his sexuality, too. So it's like her empowering herself empowers him as well. So, like, it's just a great thing. And, like, they start, like, make, you know, they start having sex. And she eventually gets on top. And I was like, oh. And what's interesting yes, is she she sorry. stays dressed throughout the entire sex scene. 
So the most we see of her yeah, is her bare yeah. legs. She lifts her skirts up. But we see Tom's ass, like, which is not common oh, yeah. in movies. We usually don't see naked mm-hmm. men. We always see naked women. But it's definitely filmed with the female gaze in mind. So I, I also, definitely. Also, I feel like it's very practical because, I'm sorry, it's way easier to take off pants than take off a whole fucking corset. Yes. So they, they finally consummate their marriage. And when they come back, they're very, like, united. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, hi. I mean, sex does that, I guess. So um, they seem to be really happy. And Lucille is fucking furious. And she confronts Edith and she's like, where were you? I was worried about you guys. I can't believe this. And she's cooking this breakfast and she's almost letting it burn. She's this heavy pot. And originally in the script, she was supposed to slap Edith. But then Guillermo del Toro was like, I don't know. I feel like if you slap an American girl like Edith, she'll probably slap back. So they changed the script, so she just slams this heavy pot, and all the food goes flying, and it scares the shit out of Edith. And, like, Lucille says something like, I can't be alone. And um, we forgot to mention, Edith had found a trunk with the name Enola on it, mm-hmm. and she also gets a letter that's the, the, that's ah, addressed to Lady E. S. Sharp. And so she's like, oh it's not me and the guy's like oh no it has to be you and so she's she sees a key on uh lucille's keychain that's marked enola and she's like oh shit so she steals it and she starts putting some clues together which is you know because she's she's a smart lady she is she starts putting some clues together yeah so she ends up um finding out that there's a couple things um she listens to one of the gramophone cylinders, and the f- uh, she remembers that they have been to London, Edinburgh, and Milan, Italy. And she sees that there are three different women from those three parts of the world. Um, and the first one's Pamela, and she's from London, and she's the one who was recording the gramophone cylinders. And she has a gramophone in that trunk, so she's just listening to them, and... The woman's like, she's like, oh, Thomas, say something into the mic. And it's very obvious that she was married to Thomas. And she, on the next recording, says, they're trying to kill me. If I die, they did it. The poison is in the tea. And so he's like, oh, shit, they're poisoning me. And they also me, find, she, known, she finds a picture of, like, the lady and the dogs yes. in her lap. And you're like, no, no, it was her dog. Yes! So, yeah. The dog. And then she finds a lady with a baby. Yes. And she's like, oh, shit. And there's a, like, the first woman was, like, confined to a wheelchair. Yeah, which is really which sad. Which will come to play later. It looks like the, yeah. the changeling well, wheelchair, too, so. Yeah, um, which eventually Edith ends up in that wheelchair, too, if you notice, yes. which is another cool, like, little thing. Um, so basically she's like, oh, shit, so they're, like, fortune hunters. And she starts thinking, like, oh, maybe they're not really siblings. Maybe Lucille and Thomas are, like, fortune hunters. And Thomas he finally gets his machine to work because he got a new part from the post office and he's excited. He's like, I can't wait to show Edith. And Lucille's like, what the fuck do you mean? You can't wait to see Edith. Yeah. Like she is like, what the fuck is going on? Um, so on the other side of the pond, Alan has figured out a couple things about them. One, their mom got murdered when they were kids and all of a sudden the kids got absconded to other parts of the country. Um, the other thing is, Thomas Sharp is already married to Pamela. But now, he doesn't know that Pamela's dead. He thinks that Pamela's still alive. 
and Edith knows that Pamela is dead. So, because of the recording. I found this part so, humorous, by the way, because it's like suddenly uh, Dr. McMichael is like a uh, detective. So, like, he's going to, like, where um, Cushing was murdered. Well, it's foreshadowed, though. Yeah, it does, because he likes Sherlock Holmes. I, he likes Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it was just funny, because it's just it's like, cute. suddenly it's just like, yeah. do 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 detective, doctor detective, I don't know, like... I get, yeah. I get it no, in terms it of the story, stupid. but it's it was funny. It's kind of yeah. humorous. Like it was, I he's probably the weakest link in the chain. If I'm going to be honest, that's like my negative for this movie is it's probably him. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he does a really a bad job. I yeah. just feel like the character is the weakest of all of them. But that's Agreed. fine. He's supposed to be the damsel in distress. He's not supposed to be fleshed out. Um, uh, Eden starts freaking out when she finds all stuff out and tries to leave, but then she ends up passing out because she keeps getting poisoned. And so she wakes up, and Lucille forces her to eat this porridge, even though she refuses the tea. And you're like, well, obviously she put in the porridge. Like, why would you eat anything this woman gives you? But anyways, um, basically she tells her the story about how her mom, Mother, who is really creepy. She's a creepy portrait of Mother. And Mother um, broke her leg because their dad used to beat her, and she, like you know, used to, she nursed her back to health in this bed, and she's like, and I'll do the same for you that I did for Mother, and just kind of leaves all creepy. And Thomas brings in a wheelchair for fucking Edith, and it's the wheelchair of the dead lady, and she's like, I gotta get fucking out of here, I have to get out of here, I have to get out of here. And Thomas is like, hey, don't drink the tea. So, like, you can tell that he actually does care for Edith, but he also cares about his sister, and he tells his sister, I know, I can't ever leave you, and she's like, don't ever leave me, you promise. It's very convoluted. Anyways, so finally alan um is trying to get to edith he's in england i don't know how he time traveled or if they just i don't know it was like game of thrones season eight i was like well how did you get here so fast but whatever um edith's getting worse but she's kind of vomited up some of the some of the poison and she sees enola and the baby's ghost and she hears some singing and there's this lullaby that lucille keeps like playing and she's like oh yeah i used to sing it to thomas when we were children seems pretty innocent right well she keeps hearing the, the lullaby but she hears it being sung you've heard it a couple times and you keep thinking it's ghosts it's not ghosts it's fucking lucille in the basement with thomas and her hand down her pa- his pants oh. and she's giving him a fucking hand job and he has his eyes closed yeah. and yeah there and she's like oh my god I knew it. You're not his sister. And she's like, yeah, this is who I am. And by the way, I am his sister. And she yeah. tosses her off the balcony and yeah. breaks her fucking I love leg. it. She goes, or it's, she says something like, she's like, I knew you were his sister. She's like, that's adorable. I am. And then shoves her. It's and you're just bam. like. It's great. Oh, fuck. And Thomas is like, um, don't do it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, Thomas has obviously been groomed as a child. It's obvious that he's the. Not that he's not, he's complicit, obviously, but it's pretty obvious that he's a groomed child. Yeah, and, like, well, she is the older, is we know she's the older sister, and we know she's two years older than him, yes. so. Yes. Yeah. Do- Dr. Allen brings that up, and the, the paper he shows, yeah. he was 12, and he's like, you're only 12, but your sister was 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Alan, uh, Edith wakes up, and Alan has sedated her, and he's like, hey, I had to set your leg. I'm here. I just want to surprise you. And as soon as Lucille and Thomas leave the room, he's like, fuck this shit. We've got to get the fuck out of here. And she's, like, sedated, so she can't really tell him everything. But he's like, he's like, nah, they murdered, their mom mysteriously died, and he's already married. We have to get you the fuck out of here. 
And she's like, okay. And then, of course, they catch them. And um, Alan's like, I know about you, and I have to get her out of here. You know, the jig is up. You murdered your mom, Lucille. You were 14. Thomas got sent away to boarding school. You were the only people in the house when your mom was murdered. Also, uh, he's already married. And then, you know, it's like, oh, actually, they've been murdering people. And um, Lucille stabs Thomas in the armpit. Yeah. Stabs Alan, I'm sorry, in the armpit. And tries to force Thomas to finish the job. Because she's like, do I always have to do everything myself? And Thomas is like, "Uh, I don't really want to kill this person. And so he's like, hey, you're a doctor. Tell me where to stab you. So basically he tells him where to stab him. So he, um, you know, can be okay. And then Lucille kills the puppy off screen. And Edith exclaims, you're monsters, both of you. To which Lucille responds, funny. That was the last thing Mother said. You're just like, ah, shit, this sucks. Um, But Alan isn't dead, even though he's pretending to be dead. And, um... uh, Thomas is trying to lead him to the mine shaft so he can get help and get Edith out of here. He's like, I'm, if she signs the papers, uh, signing over her money to us, Lucille's going to kill her. So I'm going to go get the papers and get Edith and send her your way. And so, like, he's trying to help. He's just not very good at it. As Del Toro says, the men in this movie are kind of useless, basically. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting, you, you want to cover the next bit yeah um so so yeah so basically um okay so edith is with lucille and uh lucille is basically telling her Mm -hmm. the whole thing and you know edith yeah she burns edith's novel yeah she thinks so edith confronts her about the baby and she's like you know it was my baby and enola had actually said that she was going to try to save the baby and unfortunately enola couldn't save the baby um so the baby died and you know she basically it was thomas's baby too by the way yeah exactly it was it was thomas's and lucille's baby (laughs) so because she even says you know it was born wrong and she's like but i still wanted it even though it was born wrong and you almost feel like it's i almost feel like sad for lucille at this point because she was raised in such a a brutal and hostile environment that she loves thomas Mm -hmm. but she doesn't know how to show she doesn't know how to show love because she was never really given love either yeah um and she says uh she has this really great monologue about monstrous love makes monsters of us all yeah and she's like i love him in a monstrous way um yeah and she took beatings from her parents for him but you know then she killed her mom when she found out about them yeah being incestual exactly ew yeah and and then edith is like you don't really love him you suffocate him and she forces her to sign the paper yeah and oh and then she says yeah by the way i also killed your dad yeah exactly which when i was watching this movie the second time and i was really paying attention to carter's death scene you can't see the braided hair so you can see the hair you can Mm -hmm. see where it's definitely a woman that kills him in that scene too so or a man with very long hair Mm -hmm. i guess yeah yeah. But, um, but yeah, somehow, um, Lucille escapes. I forgot how. Does she stab? She stabs her, right? She stabs, Lucille stabs, stabs Lucille. Lucille yeah. with her dad's pen. Yeah, that's what it is. The pen her dad gave Oh, because, yeah. It's great. So she stabs her, and she manages yeah. to get away, and Thomas comes up the elevator, and Edith is fucking pissed at him, but he's, like, basically, like, I do love you. 
go, 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 try to escape. And so he goes to Lucille, and he's... he He's going to get the papers and destroy them yeah. so they can't have her money. And he does. And, and that's the thing. So it's like he does, and he's telling Lucille, Thomas is telling Lucille, he's like, you know, we don't need this. We can get away. We can start anew. And all of us. And she's like, all of us. And I'm like, oh, you dumb motherfucker. Really? And he's like... And she's like, you promised me you'd never fall in love. He's like, I know, but I did. Why would you tell the crazy woman that? So, of course, she stabs him. Don't tell crazy that. She stabs him under the eye. Like, literally, pin, knife-proof face under the eye socket. And, yeah, and then she stabs him again. Because he can't close his eyes to that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, and he's he's dead. And he dies. Yeah, he's dead. Which mm-hmm. sends Lucille into an absolute frenzy because at that point she has nothing to live for. So um, yeah, she starts to chase. And it's Edith. her own fault. Yeah, she starts to chase mm-hmm. Edith. Yeah, and so basically, <laughs> the final confrontation is two women, mm-hmm. not the two dudes. It's two women. Fuck yeah! And it's not like it's 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 not like a overly catty thing. Like nobody's like it's not like Harley Quinn in tiny shorts. It's like they're just mano a mano or womano womano. I don't know, um, and it's awesome. It's a really cool final confrontation because Edith is like hiding from her among like the clay wells in the basement. And they're red, and Lucille's uh, <laughs> like, "Before they put me away, I stowed something for mother." I just love the way she says "for mother," and she takes the axe. That she killed her mom with, and she starts chasing Edith through the snow. And it's really cool because it's all foggy and snowy, and then there's just red, crimson like paths from the clay. And like it's it's very much like um I don't know, like like they're both specters because they're hiding from each other. Yeah, and they're wearing you know? these like long billowy nightgowns. So it's like and especially Lucille mm-hmm. in this scene like moves like a ghost almost. So like you just catch mm-hmm. glimpses of her. Like she's moving. Yeah. Um but then yeah, but then there's the final confrontation and I was like, ah because it's like Edith goes to stab her and Lucille grabs the knife and grabs it so hard you can see like the blood just pouring down her mm-hmm. hands. Like you know she means business and she even says like you're gonna well, She's already been stabbed a couple times. She doesn't Yeah, she's care. like, You're gonna die or I'm gonna die. And uh mm-hmm. she's like tell me if I'm wrong, but Lucille says something to the point of like, I need your help and or no oh, oh, Edith does. Edith yeah. Edith says, yeah. Help yeah. me. And she's like, didn't you hear me? No one's here to help you, yeah. Lucille says. And she's like, yes, they are. Look. And uh, she turns around, and Thomas's ghost is standing there staring at Lucille. And the weird thing about him, instead of being red and mm-hmm. crimson like all the other ghosts are, his is, like, just, like, him mostly in white, yeah. but he's just, like, kind of translucent. So he's a very different, like, a lighter To me, spirit. he's, like, the like, most visually stunning ghost. Because he's like that complete. I I love the way he. I think it's because when I first watched this movie, he was such a contrast to the other ghosts. He is a and contrast. It's like he's completely white, except for the blood where he was stabbed under his eye. It's just flowing, yeah. kind of. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, um, and basically they made him up like that. All the ghosts are real. Yeah. By the way, are people playing them? And then they added visual effects to that. But they basically he filmed that because I've seen videos of him behind the scenes and he filmed that like that in there and then they just kind of made him translucent with editing which i think is really really cool because he didn't have to be in a green screen he could actually act with them yeah. 
And basically, Lucille gets distracted long enough that Edith gets the upper hand and kills her with a shovel. And she starts repeating, like, I'm not going to stop until you die or I die. And she gives her a final blow in the head and is like, yeah, I heard you the first time. And then she kind of says a very sad goodbye to Thomas. But it's kind of great because Thomas's spirit, like, disappears like his soul has been set free. Yeah. So, like, he's not going to be damned tied to the house. However, as Alan and Edith are leaving, and she's saying a final monologue about ghosts are real, um, we see Lucille playing the piano as a black ghost. Yes. And it was something I always, the first time I watched this movie, I always thought it was very visually interesting that Edith's mom's ghost is black. And I thought because of the cholera, that's why she was black. And then I thought because of the red... And then I thought because of the red, the crimson, the crimson is why the ghosts at Crimson Peak yeah. were red. But then Lucille was a black ghost, which kind of switch like, and so. I think it's. Yeah, and I actually was reading about the color schemes, and I came across this uh, article, which I needed to detail, called Victorian Fashion and Color-Coded Undead in Crimson Peak. And the writer um, said what she thought it was that red ghosts were trapped. Black ghosts were ones that chose to stay to where they were tethered, and the mm. white ghosts were the ones that chose to leave. Which I like oh, that that's idea. I like that idea because it made sense. I was thinking, I was thinking that makes sense, or also maybe the red ghosts are because they were murdered. Yeah. Too. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Maybe. I mean, Lucille's not really murdered; she's killed in self-defense, so that's different. Um, and we do see that the ending credits show that Edith did write a novel called Crimson Peak. Yeah, which is really so, cool. Which is pretty cool. Also, like, I like that even though, like, probably her and Alan will get together. Because um, he's still survived, but he is the damsel in distress. Um, like, there's not some big romantic kiss at the end. Yeah. It's just like, hey, let's get the fuck out of here. Because one, her husband just got murdered. <laughs> And she did love Thomas, yeah. even though she didn't really love him. Like, she's over him by this point. She's like, yeah, I saw you getting a hand job from your sister. Yeah. I'm done. Um, but, you know, I, it's not going to be like that. Um, yeah, but it's I love this movie. It's great. I love it so much. Um, uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff about it. They built the whole set. Crimson Peak slash Allerdale Hall um, is built in completion. Um, I think the standout performance is obviously jessica chastain yeah i'll agree with that i think i think uh tom hilston and mia wasikowska um great but i do think jessica chastain just eats the scenery she's amazing um uh i, I do think charlie hunnam's probably the weakest the weak yeah, part of this movie i'll agree with that but he's not bad but he again he's the damsel in distress so he's just kind of there um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really, he's really the only part I didn't like. And again, like, there's just something, it's more of a fun ride than an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Like, I, I don't feel, like, I cry when I watch Shape of Water. I think, I'm pretty sure I cried at the end of Pan's Labyrinth. This movie didn't make me as sad that Thomas died. Like, I was sad for him, but I think because he was an incestual murderer, I was kind of like, eh, yeah. it's okay. It's okay that he died. And there's not really any, like, uh, the good people prevail in this movie, which is, like, a gothic romance. Like, they actually survive. So, like, it it fits. But I will say, like, some of his other movies, you know, well, you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, the main character dies at the end of Pan's Labyrinth, and it's fucking depressing. 
But it's also metaphorical. So does she die, really? Or is she just being released into the fairy world? Which sounds way more ludicrous than it is. Like, it makes more sense in the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, was there anything you didn't like about the movie? Um, there's just a certain, like, um, I hope I'm saying this right. I think there's a certain J.C. Qua like, missing from this movie. It's, like, something I can't put my finger on. Like, yeah. I love... I love the movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's very visually beautiful. I'm not bored when I watch it. I will admit, I think the first half is a little slow in some spaces. But I feel yeah. like once we, once, like, Thomas Sharp enters the picture, things tend to move pretty fast from there out. And, like, like I said, it's interesting. Like, it's not like I'm, like, oh, twiddling my thumbs watching this movie. It's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, there is no doubt, like, the costuming is absolutely gorgeous. The set's absolutely gorgeous. I just, I guess it's one of those things I don't, I never really grew attached to any of the characters while watching the movie. I know. Yeah, Yeah, I feel the same way. There's just a little missing puzzle piece to it, and I'm not sure. I don't know. But I like it. I love this movie. Yeah. But I do think it's one of his less watched films because I think it's that. I feel like Hellboy is kind of the same thing. Like, I love Hellboy, but it doesn't have quite the emotional something. Yeah. That Shape of Water and Pan's Labyrinth yeah. have. And probably Devil's Backbone, too, I'm guessing, from what I know of this, the plot to that. Um, yeah, I feel like Hellboy and this one are more, like, fun. Even though there's emotional stuff going on. Like, Hellboy, there's the whole thing where he's in love with Selma Blair's character. Liz. But she doesn't remember him, right? Isn't that? It's been, like, I haven't seen Hellboy in, like, a decade. But, like, there's, like, that aspect and... There's other stuff going on. And, like, with his dad. Yeah. But still, I don't remember crying at Hellboy. Mm-mm. It was more of a fun yeah. ride. And I feel like this movie is more of a fun ride. It's more of an adventure. Yeah, it's almost like a you popcorn know. flick in a way. Like an old, old-timey yeah. popcorn flick. Yeah. yeah. But I love that. I like it. I mean, that's why I'm like, I feel like this movie is really enjoyable. And I'm glad it just came on Netflix because it's one of my favorite movies to watch like just like in an afternoon even though it's kind of depressing and really dark but i I don't know it's enjoyable yeah it's not like super funny but it's just like it's enjoyable i like it i don't think anybody i mean i don't think i know there's people who kind of feel like wishy-washy of it but i haven't heard anyone say it sucks it's more of like people like eh, it was okay yeah you know but yeah i just yeah and i love all the symbolism and the foreshadowing um yeah. It's a smart it's, it's a smart movie. I will say that. It's pretty smart. So yeah. yeah. There's just a little puzzle piece missing to not make it like I mean it's not I don't elevated. It's gonna get an Oscar nomination. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very yeah, it's very not elevated, yeah. I don't wanna say it's simple because I don't think it's no. simple. It's very but everything like if you think about all the layers put into the craft of the set and the actors, like he gives every actor like a eight to ten page biography of their character and like they hide things in the set with the actors about what their character would hide in their bedrooms and there's literally when they designed the walls and you'll see this if you watch the tom hiddleston tour of the set um they they changed the sizing of the furniture they made all the furniture in two sizes when edith's feeling strong it's normal sized, and when she's feeling weak it's 30 percent bigger yeah which is cool. And then also, like, yeah, and he spelled out fear under the plaster of the wall of the hall, but he covered up with paintings. 
So you don't know. Like, there's just all these layers to it. But you know what? I, I feel it's so like cool. it's a passion project. And so, but the thing, that's what yeah. I love about Del Toro, too, is that he does take on a lot of movies that it's just like he's passionate about. So I think he, he set out to make a movie mm-hmm. that he knew what he was envisioning. And he, he was like, people are going to love it and they're going to get it or they're not going to get it. And that's okay. And I think you have that a lot with passion projects that you, usually when a director's so in it, there's always something missing to the audience. Yeah. Although I will say, unlike Mank. Yeah. Oh, not no Mank. No, 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 no. no we're, not, we're not talking about your father's screenplay. We're, we're talking about your movie. Which is your so movie. sweet, yeah. David Fincher. It's so sweet. But remember Mindhunter? You just did Mindhunter. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And dark and creepy. This was not. Yeah. Anyways, um, did you have a like a out of ten rating? I did. Um, I I went between a seven and an eight for this one. I end up going with an eight, um, largely just because I think it's a really pretty movie, and I really really appreciate that. There's not so many movies that I can really just admire, uh, the clothing and the set design, but I really do with this one. Oh yeah, her clothing is awesome. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, I actually went with a seven point five because I couldn't choose between a seven or an uh-huh. eight. Like, I don't think it's strong enough. I mean, it's close to doing eight. And Agreed. Seven. Absolutely. Definitely. So, well, if we can do a half rating, but, I would agree with you then a 7.5. So, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's just, it's just like, I don't know. There's just that one thing missing. And I, I don't think this is, this is not his best movie, but it's, it's, I mean, but honestly, his not best movie is still amazing. Yeah, exactly. Because he has so much attention to detail in every movie. And he is so strong in his visual, his vision, not his visual, but his vision of every movie he does. He is so strong and confident in it. And I think that's why he's such a good director is because he knows what he's doing and he has so much confidence be- behind it. But he also surrounds himself with such great creative teams that they can actually come to fruition. Yeah. So, and also apparently he's just like the nicest person. Yeah. He seems like a teddy bear. Like, I would love to meet Guillermo del Toro. They just call him, him who the fuck, um, one of his... Was it, did I imagine that there was a actress, a young one, who called him Totoro-san? I don't know. I feel like that's something that's I read, though. because he reminded her of Totoro from my neighbor Totoro. I feel like I read that somewhere. He does. He kind of is like the human embodiment of exactly. Totoro. Exactly. <laughs> so I need to look it up and see who <laughs> called him that. Um, did you have a, a Grindhouse Girls rating for this I movie? I did. I don't know if it's my strongest one, but I, um, I put M for Moths and Mothers. Because we do have three mothers in this film, so. Yeah, so. that is true. Um, I had rated C for Crimson Specters and Creepy Siblings. I like that. Okay. I like that. I Especially because we also had M uh, rating last week for Missiles and Mothers. So, yeah. 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 Yes. Which, yes, uh, Elephant in the Room, we had to skip a week because my house flooded the night before I was supposed to put out the podcast and I had like an hour's work of work to do before I could edit it and I spent that hour cleaning up water with puppy pads thank god my dog doesn't need puppy pads anymore. okay and but my house is okay and I wanted to mention just while I was thinking of it so act actor Mana Ashida was the one uh, she played young Mako in Pac- uh, Pacific Rim which was of course Del Toro's 2013 okay. movie um, and she could not pronounce his name, so she asked him if she could call him Totoro's son, which he agreed to. So, that's adorable. It's really cute. So, it's really cute. Um, but yeah, so we're, we took a, we had to basically postpone a week. So this is coming out 
two weeks. We're kind of back on last year's schedule yep. now. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, but that's okay. Sometimes you just gotta take a week off, and it's okay. Yes. I think, I guess we will be filming next week, right? No, uh, so we, we will not be filming. Or two yeah, weeks two from weeks from now. now, absolutely. So, um, I... But they won't have it interrupted yeah. because of our delay from this No, week, so we don't have to mention it good. if you don't want to, because it won't really change the filming schedule. It's totally up to you. Yeah, um... Completely up to you. I can just... Oh, so what I will say is, guys, um, I won't go into a lot of details here, but my mom's about to have a, a pretty big surgery. Um, if you guys could just say some prayers, if that's your style. If it's not your style, if you could send some good vibes out into the universe for her, we would so greatly appreciate it. So, mm-hmm. um, I won't go into a lot of details, but, um, yeah, I believe, I believe in the power of positivity, and we could really use some positivity now. Um, and so thank you guys yeah. in advance. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be great. But it's it's gonna be fine. It is, and I still picked a movie for us, so for next time. <gasps> Yay! So I think so. We still have a movie for next. I week. think Katie is gonna be very excited about this one because she's been wanting to do this one for a while, and I've been going, "Oh God, it's so long." Um, but <laughs> but um, I think having a little bit extra time, we're gonna take on Memories of a Murder, uh, which is. Yay! On Hulu, it is a Bon Joon Ho. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how does speak a Bon Lu, a Bon Joon Ho uh, joint? Did you like how I did that? Like a Spike Lee joint? Yes, a Bon Joon Ho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I went into this on last week's episode. Is like all of his movies are now on Hulu, so you can just marathon yeah. all of them. Um, but yeah, I've already watched it once, and I it's very strong. It is it is more of a criminal. A criminal, criminal drama than a horror film, but I think it's something that everyone talks about. This film and it's based on a true crime. Yeah, but it's yeah, amazing. Memories of Murder was not his first film, but I, I feel like maybe his first like pre, I think it was before The Host, but it was really hard to get a hold of for a very long time. But they just released a Criterion version on Blu-ray and it just came on Hulu. Awesome. Which um so it's a lot more accessible but for a while I could not find it. So, I'm so excited. I am too. I'm really excited. I'm excited yeah. that we have the time to take on a little bit of a longer movie that may yes. be a little bit more detail oriented cuz as we know Parasite yes. was a one to unpack. So um and I think it is time to go to bed. We're actually a little later than we usually are. Yes. So, I know we're both getting pretty tired. Um uh remember to Take your vitamins, wash your hands, and be kind to one another. Um, get your vaccine if you can. Yes. Take a and shot of water, please. Stay hydrated. Shot, 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 shot. Um, and, uh, yeah, just be good. Say a prayer for Brittany's mommy. Thank you. She's such a sweet lady. She's going to be fine. It's going to be good. Thank you. Um, send good vibes our way, please. Yes. Especially to Brittany. Also pray that my dog stops trying to eat plastic. Yes, that's that's that would be good too. Mental come apart, but more more importantly, her mom. No, but no. Yeah. Um, as always, guys. I love your mom. I, I love my mom too. We love Gizmo. We don't want to eat more plastic. Um, I as no. <laughs> as always, guys. Uh, thank you for sharing a small part of your day with us. Whether you're on your work commute, you're doing your chores, um, you're just hanging out, enjoying a relaxing moment. Uh, thank you so much for letting us be a part of your day. We appreciate you. We love you. 
Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for recommendations. Uh, you have no idea how much it means to a small podcast that you're out there just listening to us. Um, so as always, we guys, guys. We, we love you. And we look forward to seeing you uh, same time, same spooky channel. Stay spooky, y'all. Stay spooky, y'all. Good night. Good night, Katie. Night, <laughs> Brittany. Love, love you. Bye. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs> the Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.